Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay. Talk Recorded live. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Darkness Within radio show. This is our comeback show, and tonight we will be discussing Albert Fish and Ed Gain. And if we have time, um, he's not a serial killer, but he was a very close friend of mine. And I did go to school with him. His name is Edwin Snellgrove, also known as Ned Snellgrove. How are you ladies tonight? We have Heather and Leah on the phone with us. Hey there. Thank you for having me. It's good to be back on the show. Hey, Judy and Leah. Oh, and it is just good to be back. So we are are ready to rock this evening. Yes, we are. We're going to start with Albert Fish, who is also known as the Gray Man and the Werewolf of Wisteria. Now, I remember reading some of James uh, Patterson's books, uh, Witch and, and Wizard, and the little girl, her name was Wisteria, and I found that rather interesting, you know? Huh. Sure, sure. Yeah, and he's classified as a serial killer. Her, his characteristics were a sex pervert, cannibalism, co- coprophilia, europhilia, pedophilia, and masochism. I mean, you know, this guy was like, I think, totally off the wall. He went after uh, little kids, basically, you know. Right. Yeah, totally. And folks, Judy's throwing around those big words again. Um, but uh <laughs> The urinophilia and the corpo, I can't even pronounce it, philia. Corcrophilia means that he got uh, sexual excitement through eating uh, urine and feces. And this that is came, gross. And that is <laughs> yes, gross. Yes, it is. It, it actually came from one of his very first sexual experiences. He hooked up with this older boy who really, you know, got him into this bizarre stuff. It was a homosexual relationship. It was the sexual relationship that I really don't even understand. And then when this guy, kid started pushing Albert too far, you know, things that he didn't want to do and stuff, Albert just tied him up and left him hanging in a warehouse. He wasn't ready to kill people yet. And fortunately, you know, someone found the young man before 48 hours were up. But, uh, but is that is that the same young man who he um, uh, basically cut off half of his penis before leaving? Is that the same? Oh, man? I think that fellow was a little later. Um, ah, yes. okay, okay, that's a different boy he had tied up in the warehouse. Okay, okay. Yeah, well, actually, he, did, um, he left them a lot like that. Right. right. Actually. Yeah. Um, what happened to him, he was actually stuck in an orphanage uh, when his dad died. And his father um, often whipped and beat him, and so did the people in the orphanage. And 
you know, the, the beatings often gave him erections for uh, which the other orphans would tease him about, you know. Right. Sure. Um, well, yeah. what's interesting so, about that, though, the whole orphanage part is that he um, he wasn't an orphan. I mean, I know his father was 75 years old when he was born and about 40 years older than his mother around there. And, um, right. and for some reason, they put him in the orphanage, and then when he was about 10 or 12 years old, his mother took him back out. And there's no real good explanation for why that was. So but the, uh, the only explanation I can offer, uh, Leah, is that when his father died, and yes, he was considerably older than his mother, right. his mother couldn't take care of the children. So she Fair took enough. them to an orphanage and essentially went back to school, had to restart her right. life, learn how to take care of herself. And then, was it 10 years later, Leah? Yeah, it was about she came back later. and said, you yep. know, now I can take care of you. I love you. But yeah, Judy's right. explanation of the uh, of the orphanage is wonderful because the you know, you'd like to think that orphanages were at least nice places. Oliver Twist <laughs> and the musical <laughs> Oliver. Right. Uh, Danny or something yep. like that. But it's, these, it's nothing these like that. people, many of whom were nuns, um, would strip the children, masturbate them in front of the other children, right. uh, humiliate them sexually, mm-hmm. and obviously beat them. And, and yes, uh, actually, Albert Fish himself said that that orphanage was what ruined his mind. Uh, uh, and yeah, I can see. I remember that, there was uh, a psychologist who had talked about sexuality and killers and had kind of explained the way uh, certain strange, let's say, fetishes or weird sexual habits can get developed is that when you're young, especially in, in males, you you have these kind of unexpected erections when you're, you know, a little boy. And mm-hmm. if that happens at the same time as, let's say, you're being beaten or something like that, you can come to kind of join those two together kind of subconsciously in your head and associate the two, even though the two don't really have anything to do with the other. And now all of a sudden you have an association with erections and being beaten or humiliated or something like that. I mean, of course, it's a really um, simplified explanation, but that's the gist of it. Right. um, And on top of it, um, the neuropsychologists say once that, because when you're young, your new groups are establishing new connections and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And once that erection, that that connection is established, it, you, you're not going to fix it, quote unquote. It's there. Right. It's there forever. And you may, sure. you know, push it back when when you get into society and realize, like, whoa, people think this is really weird. But right. it's, it's always going to be there. So, mm-hmm. yeah, these people did do irreparable harm to this man. Uh, but, Judy, tell us what kind of harm this man did to the people around him. Well, um, he began, uh, he became a homo- had a homosexual relationship in 1882 at the age of 12 with a telegraph boy. Um, and that's how he got into drinking urine and eating poop. You know, and he began to visit public baths where he watched the boys undress. Then he became a male prostitute in New York City in 1890, 
where he began to rape young boys. You know, so being a male prostitute. Yeah, so his being a male prostitute, that kind of sexual stimulation didn't fulfill this this need in him. He still went out and raped young children. Right. Well, I guess being a prostitute as well, you're not really in control. You're more there to be serving whoever's paying you for your services rather than he being the one in the position of power and doing what he wanted and I guess, of course, with children even more so. So, mm. um, so I I could kind of see how that would would work out in a horrible way. Yeah. Well, yeah. him himself, uh, I guess, his mother had a uh, set up a marriage for him. It was a fixed marriage, and he himself had six kids. Yeah. And after right. that, he was arrested for embezzlement and sentenced to think. Sing Sing in 1903. He had sex with the men in prison, and then he was fascinated with bisection of the penis, mm. you know, and developed a morbid interest in castration. He had actually uh, had a relationship with a mentally retarded man. Then he tied him up and um, attempted to castrate him, but the man fled, mm. you know. Uh, right. He was divorced 1917, and uh, after the rejection that he got, he began hearing voices, but that mm-hmm. does run in his family. Um, yeah. Seven close relatives was, were mentally right. ill. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. They're sure, inbreeding. Yeah. <laughs> they must have been yeah. inbreeding. Um, what but, I find yeah. interesting about the children, though, is that apparently he never harmed his own children. No. And I know that's true with a lot of other serial killers who will harm other people's children, but be kind of protective towards their own. It's I know Gacy got married. Didn't he have kids? Yeah, uh, Gacy. Yeah, yeah. A lot of them do have kids, and yeah, there are some who do harm their children, molest their children and such, but there's a lot who are protective towards them and don't harm them, but yet see it okay to harm somebody else's children. Well, we tend um, to forget when we're discussing serial killers that under all the horror that we experience thinking about it, some piece of them is still human. Right, You know, some piece of it, and, and so... You know, when a man is still good to his children or to the neighborhood children or something, it's hard for me to key on to that and say, okay, see, he, he wasn't all bad. Nobody's all bad. Sure. And Albert Fish, that was tough. But even though <laughs> he didn't molest his children and, and um, mm. he didn't inflict pain on them, he actually did some pretty awful things around them. Uh, uh, he made a, a paddle through which he had driven nails, and he would right. demand his children paddled him till he bled. Oh, wow. Um, he actually... And what what he, did he, he call he, those tools again? Those were his instruments of hell? Oh, like that? yes. Yes, he always yeah. had them together. and Because mm-hmm. at first he didn't, he didn't have them, but afterwards, yes, right. he always had his, his instruments with him. He also, he didn't just like inflicting pain on others... Clearly, he liked to inflict pain on himself. He would, mm. he would insert pins and needles into his genitalia. 
Right. And, you know, and, and so that, and they didn't believe it when, you know, the, the alienists, as they were called then, the psychologists examined him. They thought, you know, nobody does that. I mean, that just doesn't happen. But when he had x-rays in prison, they found mm. 21 of the instruments still in his genitals and abdominal cavity. Right. Wow. Oh, we, yeah, I mean... I know so, that I'm, kind of bored to the rumor later on once he was executed that those needles that were still inside of him yep. short-circuited or did something when um, when he was, yeah, in the electric chair. And in the electric chair. It, it sped it up. Because he, he was right. expecting this experience in the electric chair to be the ultimate experience of his mm-hmm. life you know i mean here he enjoyed inflicting pain and inflicting it on others and essentially torturing himself and he thought this was going to be great it's a little bit of karma i think that it was over almost instantly (laughs) that he didn't have the time to enjoy it right uh but that is true Mm. yeah i mean when you're putting together a picture of of uh this man and the the things that he did and um, and there, there's this one little line that I caught in a couple of things that he fell out of a cherry tree and injured his head uh, with a with a head injury when he was young. And Judy, didn't we discuss that in some other cases where you know head injuries seemed later in years to develop yeah. these yeah. murderous tendencies? So yep. he he really had the cards stacked against him. Right, because isn't that uh, what they say well, with those head injuries? That it's, uh, what is it? It damages your frontal lobes, and uh, mm-hmm. yes, and that's frontal the lobe injuries that they try. Yeah, exactly. yeah, and and it so. damages. That's the area where your personality uh, resides, mm-hmm. and so you know that right. when that kind of thing happens, it can do. And now, mind you, every mother and father in the world are saying, "Oh my God, I dropped my kid on his head when he was three. <laughs> you know, that doesn't mean he's going to become a serial killer. It just means right. you know, there's there's a correlation, but it's not causal. These kind of things don't cause it. It just is one of those things that we say, "Gee, this happens." Hmm, but but we right. don't know uh, if it causes it. And sure, you know, one factor amongst many possibilities. So. Many possibilities, so, yeah. and and he had a, a lot of things going against him and his children. Right. Another thing that he did, not technically hurting his children, but he took them on vacation. Hey, you know, nice, we're going on a vacation. We're going up <laughs> into the mountains, and he dragged uh-huh. them all out at dawn. Got to the top of the cliff, stripped off his clothes. And greeted the dawn, announcing that he was God. I am God. That his children are there, and so they have the experience of paddling him until he bleeds, or watching him insert sharp instruments into his genitals, and. So actually, the, today the, we would call that child abuse. <laughs> yes, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I agree with that. That's not a memory you want to have of dad, absolutely. No, so, no. Um, but the fact you mentioned the uh, religion, thats I know that's kind of a, a little bit of a hallmark to his case as well, being that he tried to kind of mimic things and, uh, that he had read in the Bible and later on had thought that, simulating a child's sacrifice would kind of 
make up for some of the things he did, but he never actually got that far of being able to do what he would uh, consider a child sacrifice. But they were all mm. like he was kind of uh, drawing from the Bible. And I know Ed Gein, who we'll get to, also had religion as a big kind of hallmark to his life as well. Yes. So it's a kind of connector between those two, which is always kind of an interesting one. So Yeah, um, it is. But as his mm-hmm. as his personality deteriorated and, you know, his behavior became so bizarre, uh is his murders became more bizarre and torturous not just of his victims but of their families. Right. And uh, Judy, uh, Grace Budd, was one of the most famous of these victims. What can you tell us about about her and this experience? Who was that? Grace, Grace Budd, the, the little girl that finally got him caught. Um, I don't think there's too much I can tell you about, oh. about her. Okay. Well, well Grace, Grace Bud, I mean, I know that what the, the story there was when um, he, as you said, he would like to torture, you know, the families as well. And beforehand, he would, um, he would find like classified ads of women advertising to be maids and things like that, and would write letters to them, explicit letters, saying all kinds of things. So he always kind of got some sort of thrill out of doing that. Well, he found it was originally Grace Bud's older brother um, who was advertising wanting to work on a farm in the country. So Fish shows up to the city, to the family's house and says, you know, I'm a farmer working from a farm and goes there, but then realizes the brother's a little bit too big for him to handle, but spots Grace, who's much younger, smaller, And I know that they said even though he realized that she was female, he kind of looked at her as being more of a little boy. Um, So I think it was the second time he came back. He he didn't take her that first day. It was the second time. Mm -hmm. And um, he told the family some wild tale of having a niece's birthday party and asked if he could take her along, and they agreed. And and that was that. They never saw her again. I actually um, have a letter here that he wrote to the parents, which uh, actually led, this is what led the police to him. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It says, Dear Mrs. Bud, in 1894, a friend of mine shipped as a deckhand on the steamer Tacoma, Captain John Davis. They sailed from San Francisco for Hong Kong, China. On arriving there, he and two others went ashore and got drunk. When they returned, the boat was gone. At that time, there was famine in China. Meat of any kind was from $1 to $3 per pound. So great was the suffering among the very poor that all children under 12 were sold for food in order to keep others from starving. A boy or uh, girl all children under, uh, under twelve. Yep. A uh, boy or girl <laughs> under fourteen was not safe in the street. You could go in any shop and ask for steak chops or stew meat. Part of the naked body of the boy or girl would be bought out and just what you wanted cut from it. A boy or girl's behind, which is the sweetest part of the body, and sold as veal cutlet bought the highest price. John stayed 
there so long, he acquired a taste for human flesh. On his return to New York, he stole two boys, 17-111, took them to his home, stripped them at stripped them naked, tied them in a closet, then burned everything they had on several times every day and night. He spanked them, tortured them to make their meat good and tender. First, he killed the 11-year-old boy because he had the fattest ass and, of course, the most meat on it. Every part of his body was cooked and eaten except the head, bones, and guts. He was roasted in the oven. All of his ass, boiled, broiled, fried, stewed, the little boy was next, went the same way. At that time, I was living at 409 East 100th Street near right side. He told me so often how good human flesh was, I made up my mind to taste it. On Sunday, July the 13th, 1928, I called you at 406 West 15th Street, bought Brought you pot cheese, strawberries, and we had lunch. Grace mm. sat in my lip, my lap and kissed me. I made up my mind to eat her. On the pretense of taking her to a party, you said she could go. I took her to an empty house in Westchester I had already picked out. When we got there, I told her to remain outside. She picked wildflowers. I went upstairs and stripped all my clothes off. I knew if I did not, I would get her blood on them. When all was ready, I went to the window and called her. I, then I hid in a closet until she was in the room. When she saw me all naked, she began to cry and tried to run downstairs. I grabbed her and she said she would tell her mama. Uh, first, I stripped her naked. How... She did tick, bite, and scratch. I choked her to death, then cut her in small pieces so I could take my meat to my rooms, cook it, eat it. How sweet and tender her little ass was roasted in the oven. It took me nine days to eat her entire body. Um, I did not screw her, and that's not what he said. He said another word, though I (laughs) could have had could had, I wish. Had I wish. She, she died a virgin. Mrs. Bud was illiterate and could not read the letter herself, so she had her son read it instead. Fish later admitted to his attorney that he did indeed rape Grace. Fish was oh he compul- did okay was a compulsive liar, however, so this may be untrue. He had told the police when asked that it never even entered his head to rape the girl. Now, imagine being a parent and getting a letter like that. That is like something unreal and horrible. A parent whose child has been missing for all that time. And then, you know, as, as a mother to know that, you said it was okay for her to go with this man. You looked at him as sure. kind of a grandfatherly, you know, he had nice manners. He brought them a, a, a gift that they might not have been able to afford on their own. And you said, sure, Grace, you know, go with right. him. And then you have to live with that. Oh, um, no, I mean, the torture of that, I mean, oh, I can't even imagine. No, 
I no, mean, it's I... horrible. I mean, I couldn't imagine anyone taking any of my kids when they were younger or my grandkids because, you know what, God help them if they did. I'd probably be locked up in jail because I'd hunt the sucker down until I found him. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm with you on that one. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But, I know it, uh, was it actually Grace Bud's mother who uh, went up to once he was in prison, had gone up there. Actually, no, I want to say maybe it was uh, uh, Billy Gaffney, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, it was yes. Billy. And she went up there asking for answers and wanted to know what happened to her son, and he refused to talk to her, um, mm-hmm. which I thought was kind of interesting, being that he enjoyed writing those letters so much. Um, mm. So, yeah, you'd think he would kind of enjoy retelling it, but apparently not in that situation. Apparently not face-to-face, so. No. I, this this man, uh, I, I just, so many uh, abnormalities in him. You know, I, the, the hearing of voices, his, his sexual inclinations, his torture of the families afterwards. Right, um, right. And and just even when he was in jail, he would continue to write letters to other victims. Now it is said that he may have killed as as many as two hundred children, but we mm. only have names of three. Sure, right. Um, and, and that's uh, yeah. You know, I my heart think that was probably true. I think he probably molested a lot of children. And yes. Um, and yeah, you know, he certainly probably killed more than we know about, but, um, mm-hmm. but anytime the numbers get up in the hundreds, I'm always a little bit suspicious of that. So, mm. um, although I guess it is possible. So yeah, because he, yeah. he may not have eaten 200 because that didn't start until <laughs> later in his sure. career. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, but certainly, um, he found himself a a uh, hobby, and if he was finding children who were and they were mentally retarded or kind of street urchins and things, right. the police, the people weren't going to look for them very hard. Right, uh, right. So, right. He was quoted as saying that that um, yeah, mentally handicapped and also African American children because he believed that they were less likely to be missed. Uh, mm. And that's who he would target. So yes. somebody got something to say back here. I hear them. <laughs> yes, little Miss Daisy apparently really likes the smell of a uh, a roast lamb because normally she only does this for chicken, and we cannot have chicken when she's in the kitchen because she just uh. barks until <laughs> you give in to feed her. <laughs> oh, she's not a spoiled little girl. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> Not at all. But, but this, uh, this yeah. guy was truly, truly, really sick in the head. I mean, yes. Mm. I but you know, picture anybody doing that. He was arrested for so many other things, starting with embezzlement, and they kept they kept sending him to be examined uh, whether or not he was insane, and they kept putting him back out on the street saying, no, right. he's not crazy. And, and that makes me think that he uh, was also the, the classic 
uh, psychopath in that he knew perfectly well how to behave in public, sure. how to behave in company, um, right. and, and he knew what the rules were. They just didn't apply to him. Mm-hmm. And right. So that, uh, well, apparently, that, when he got you know, it is seen- well, he um, he was staying in a boarding house. Apparently, I guess while he was committing those later murders, mm-hmm. and um, and when he wrote that letter to Grace Bud's family, it was on some stationery of a particular business. And when the police went back and tracked that down. They found the guy, and the guy said, "Oh yeah, that that's my stationery. I was staying in this boarding house. I left it behind." Mm-hmm. So they went there. I said, "Well, hey, who's staying in this room?" And the lady of the house had said, "Oh, it's this older gentleman who said he'd come back in a week to collect a check from his son." And sure enough, they waited. He came back, and apparently, he didn't really deny anything. He kind of fessed up to it pretty quickly. Uh, yeah. And went along with it. So I know. But I'm sure he probably got a little bit of satisfaction out of that too. You know, there's definitely those killers who get satisfaction out of, um, you know, fessing up to it and getting a little bit right. of Not all do, um, but sure, absolutely. It's uh, I know, and, and and yes, I look at this and I say, wow, you know, 1920s and and into the 30s, but. Uh, and we think, oh, that's, I don't know, we like to think. We all know about uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, and right. we had a show on him already, but uh, the the cannibalism of Albert Fish went beyond what Dahmer had done. But then there's, there's these people in the world. Uh, one man put an ad on the Internet saying he wanted uh-huh. to slaughter and eat someone, and he put it out clearly. And he found a willing right. victim. Now, is that murder? You're still killing a person. Your person is saying, yeah, go ahead. I, you know, I sure. mean, that's the ultimate of a masochist, I would think. Well, that and, person, I would seem to think, would have had to been suicidal and didn't have the courage enough to kill themselves. So right. this way right. they had somebody else do it. They had no, they didn't want to live anymore. You right, know. possibly, but or they, they were, yeah. These young kids, I mean, they're innocent. They're innocent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You sure. know? But they there are, are totally still people innocent. walking among us uh, who think cannibalizing another person is, it's okay. Right. It's okay. Well, the the, um, the, the big one of that is that... Um, Japanese uh, mm-hmm. real killer, Ishii or not? Sagawa, yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> who infamously cannibalized that poor student in Paris mm-hmm. and was able to get off. And when they sent him back to uh, Japan, um, because his father, I guess, was you know a well enough connected politician or something of the like, uh, was able to get him extradited. But when he landed mm-hmm. there, they said, well, you actually haven't committed a crime in Japan. Therefore, we mm-hmm. cannot put you in a Japanese prison. Well, his father mm-hmm. kind of realized that would be bad. So he said, hey, voluntarily check yourself in for about six months uh, so it looks like you're being committed somewhere. But he checked himself out after a couple of months, and that's it. There's no probation, no nothing. And he's been on his own ever since. And, you know, he's and we- been kind of a bizarre B-list celebrity doing 
porn reenacting that and being mm-hmm. a food critic, which, you know, is all off the fact of, <laughs> hey, the <a> cannibal. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. Wow. It's it's compared wild. to yeah. the dish that I had in Paris. Relax. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, exactly. So that's always a bit of a bizarre one to me, but it is true. And I mean, uh, truth is stranger than fiction sometimes. So (laughs) absolutely, and and there's still people out there, and uh, oh, and there are things that we will never, never understand. Uh, Right, right, but absolutely. And that's definitely one of them, so. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So what so about, was, I mean, yeah. you think about it. Okay, he was in New York City, and yes. he was doing this stuff out of New York. Now, I know for a fact back then, in those days, they had uh, Rolling Hills Mental Asylum that housed many prison, crazy mm-hmm. prisoners like okay. him. Okay, so mm-hmm. I mean, why didn't they ship him into an institution mm-hmm. like that? He went. He, sure. he he was sent to Bellevue several times, and they always released him, judging that that he was disturbed but not insane. Right. And they couldn't yeah, this, keep it, him unless a, he this, was named insane. This mm. wasn't a a mental hospital. This was like the Whiting Forensic Institute here in Connecticut where the mentally um, people that are, are, are criminals and murderers and stuff like that that are mentally ill and they find them to be, you know, incompetent and stuff, they stick them in Whiting Forensic just as they did back then in Rolling Hills. And this is why mm. I can't understand why... He wasn't stuck somewhere like that. I mean, I've been to Rolling Hills. I've seen the cells in the basement where they used to house the prisoners. Right, right. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, actually, the uh, the person who came to know him best was one of the alienists uh, slash psychiatrists of the time uh, was a Dr. Wortham. And he did mm. believe that Fish was legally insane uh, but he was also intelligent enough, although perverted, perverted and distorted, mm-hmm. uh, that if he was sent to prison, he would continue to prey on ah, people. Okay. Uh, so you know, he just had such a mixed-up sense of punishment and sin, atonement and sure. religion, torture and self-punishment. Um, it it would have been wrong to think that he would have stopped. Right. Um, and he actually referred to, Leo, what you mentioned earlier, that, you know, he would not have stopped. Abraham was stopped by an angel mm-hmm. in the Bible. But, right. But Albert Fish, ham and eggs, I love that nickname. That probably <laughs> might have made me a little crazy, too. Right. Um, right. And that's... Yeah. Well, so that's why he changed. Yeah, his name was Hamlet, yeah. and then he Albert changed was his the name, name to brother. Yes. yes, he changed his name to to Albert because they teased him unmercifully in right. the the orphanage, uh, calling him Ham and Eggs. And what was his legal name? <laughs> Hamilton was that? Yeah, it was yes. Hamilton, Hamilton Fish. Fish. 
Yes. They called him <laughs> Ham and Eggs. God, I will never name a child Hamilton. Not that I'm no. going to have more children. But, uh, uh-huh. yeah. Oh, they, but they always, always said, you know, disturbed but sane, disturbed but right. sane. And and Wortham said, no, you know, he he mm. is insane. Uh, but, and all of these things mixed up. But he he couldn't be released to the public, and isn't that what prisons are supposed to be to keep the public safe? Not yes. you know, and but I'm really glad that uh, he got the death penalty. I'm remarkably <laughs> glad. Right. Um, I am curious what happened to his children, though. I mean, I mean, his six children. I wonder um, if they completely kind of disappeared into obscurity, or if. Uh, they ever spoke about their father or if, you know, there's some sort of legacy of them somewhere. Um, ah. well, I'd be very curious about that. Actually, I'm plugging that in. I didn't think of that. I'm, uh, I'm glad that you would be a good brought thing that up. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm just going to ask if I would have changed my name. Um, <laughs> but, yes. Well, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, you know, I don't know. Uh, I, I think children of some serial killers did, in fact, change their names. Uh, sure. Boy, they want to talk about. Uh, well, they say he has all these children. And interestingly enough, after his wife left him, when he started hmm. hearing those voices and whatnot, um, right. she came back with her boyfriend and uh, said, you know, I need need a place to live, need a place to stay. And he said, well, you know, you can stay, but you can't bring him with you. And then when he found out that she was actually hiding him uh, in the the, uh, (laughs) basement and back bedrooms and moving him around and such, that's when he threw her out. Now, we have no evidence that he killed her, but... Well, but, I, yeah. no, but didn't she meet him in the first place? Because when she was still married to Fish, he, the uh, future boyfriend, um, began as a boarder in the house, and she, I guess, fell in love with him or left and had a little bit of an affair, and then left the family and left Fish. So mm-hmm. he began as a boarder, apparently. So yeah. Um, but I didn't know she came back. That's yeah, she quest. came back. So <laughs> um, well, I guess they couldn't oh, make it on their own. Um, I guess not. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of well, it is eerie. Um, yes. So, Absolutely. and we'll never have all the answers. Uh, no, his no. confession incredible. Plus, he kept changing things. Sure. Mm. Well, I do well, remember I that, seeing that his think, uh, lawyer at execution, Tom, I guess the day of execution, Fish had um, written out notes or in a journal or something like that and given it to his lawyer. And afterwards, the press had asked the lawyer, oh, what did he say? Can you release it? And he said, oh, no, it's absolutely despicable. I will never release what he had to say. Now, I don't know if he did eventually release it or if it was released after the fact or something like that. But um, hmm. but I am curious about that. So um, perhaps somebody has an answer to that because I sure don't. And um, I am curious. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
A, a paraphilia? I think most serial killers, though, they do change up their stories a lot, you know, Mm. to try to get out of it. That's just, you know, my opinion. Mm. I think there's some people that you could say change their story because at first they are not so comfortable talking about it and give a very kind of uh, diluted version of what happened. And later mm-hmm. down the line, some come to terms with what they did or comfortable with what they did or whatever the case may be, and then start to kind of really break down what in fact happened, which kind of accounts for a different story. Um, and then there's others who, yeah, all of a sudden they want to try and save their life and uh, are trying to put the blame on somebody else or lessen what they did. And so I guess there's reasons like that for stories changing rather than right, just right. outright lies, which does happen as well. So, mm. um, now, yeah, I don't, I don't know if uh, maybe you would know, Leia, if uh, the people that are like serial killers or killers in general, mm. um, if when they go to prison, are they actually given uh, psychological testing before trial time or... Uh, before trial time? If it's um, requested by um, by their attorney. Exactly. If, if they want to put uh, in a plea yeah. of insanity, then they have to be tested by psychiatrists right. from both sides, from the prosecution yes. and the defense. Okay. Oh, but, uh, and after the fact, once they do go to prison, there are counselors, but they are not required to talk to them. So mm-hmm. some do, some don't. Um, and then, of course, for some more high-profile people that catch the interest of, let's say, FBI or something like that, um, sometimes they'll come down and ask if they'll volunteer, you know, to do some tests uh, for their personal mm-hmm. search or interest. And I know of a couple inmates who participate in that out of their own interest, um, mm-hmm. MRIs and and uh, different psychological tests and whatnot, which mm. can be interesting. But then again, there's a lot who turn that down, too. So, um, Well, I know that the uh, government at, at one time had used, um, like, people that were on death row, they used them a lot of times as guinea pigs, too. I mean, hmm. this, this must have an effect with their mind also, you know? Sure, sure. No, I agree with that. Yep. Yep, but, you know, it's a real, real strange world out here. That's all I know. Oh, yes, it is. It's been a strange world for lots and lots of years. (laughs) (laughs) People people think this is new, that our society is deteriorating, but our society has been deteriorating since since it began. Look at Caligula. I mean, John O'Brien. On it as well. So, yes, um, yes, and we yeah. have a, a larger population, so um, of I course we're going to see more and more. And as uh, as our our guest, Dr. Scott Bond, reminded us of, there are a uh, hundred to hundred and fifty active serial killers at any one time in this in in the world. Mm. So, right, right. You know, they don't all hit the papers. They don't all become. Uh, incredibly famous. And as Judy tortured me with uh, when I stopped at Niagara Falls on my way out to see her, I I went out by myself at night to the falls and I walked around the park and I had a great time and she said, 
are you crazy? There's an active serial killer there. That night, I don't know how many times I woke up thinking somebody was in my room. Boy, I was sure that there was a serial killer under my bed, and then I thought a light came on and went off, and they must... I like I just laid there frozen, and yeah, I oh, might have been a man. day late picking you up, Judy, because the next day I could only drive for four hours, four or five hours, because I was so tired. <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, but, I mean, serial killer. Yeah. No, you're braver than I am. I wouldn't have to go out at night by myself. <laughs> oh. Oh man! Oh, that's too funny, though. So. Yes, <laughs> and I kept and saying that. Thank you, Judy. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. I just wanted to to let you to, you know, want you to beware. That's all. Mm, Yeah, it was, yeah, Um, I had already done my silly stuff. I'm going to go on (laughs) to Ed Dane here, uh, who was also known as the Plainfield Gould. Um, And the reason why that is is because he was born in Plainfield. Everything happened in Plainfield, Wisconsin. Uh, Mm. Classification was homicide characteristic. Uh, necrophilia. Uh, victims were two plus, okay? Um, I only have two of the victims here. One was mm-hmm. Mary Hogan. She was 54 and a tavern owner. The other one was Bernice Warden, 58, a hardware store owner. And he was shooting them with a 22 caliber rifle. Um, he was sentenced to to life in prison in 1968, found not guilty by reason of insanity and acquitted, and he was transferred to a mental hospital where he died uh, July 26th of 1984. He actually exhumed corpses out of graveyards and kept skin and bones as trophies. Uh, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He also uh, said that Jeffrey Dahmer was his muse. I mean, Jeffrey Dahmer was after the fact, though. So perhaps the other way around. Perhaps. Well, (laughs) what he said, he he had said uh, something about Jeffrey Dahmer. Ah, okay. Well, that's a joke. Well, what's really, you know, fascinating about Edward Gain, I find it fascinating, and it goes back to what I just said about, you know, this has gone on for years and, and we just don't know it, but Edward Gain and his bizarre, bizarre behaviors, you know, uh, he is the basis for Leatherface in yes. uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, for Norman right. Bates. For Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs, Uh, he did indeed. He made a suit out of human skin and a mask um, out of a female, the face of a female that he dug up. Um, uh, I know that was one of the details when the police came into his house and uh, searched mm -hmm. the house. When they found the face, they were horrified, being that it was a small town. They recognized the woman. So, yes. Uh, yes. And, yeah, that left them a little bit traumatized, to say the least. Yeah. So. But his his background, again, when you look to the childhood, you mm. see an awful lot of pieces of uh, what what makes these, right. these people tick. Um, 
No, and let's very start domineering off. mother. Yeah, very domineering mother and a violently alcoholic father who actually mm. cowered in front of his wife. He was brutal yeah. when uh. he was drunk. He did whatever, and and the mother's name was Augusta, and mm. she was a religious fanatic, right? Particularly where sex was concerned, she actually told her children and anyone who would listen that. All women, except for her, were prostitutes and tools of the devil. And she just, you know, she loved to read to the boys every afternoon. They had Old Testament readings, but she especially liked to read the verses that dealt with death and murder and, you know, divine retribution if this happens. I mean, it's not just if you masturbate, you're going to grow hair on the palm right, of your hand. Right. You know. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. But although at one point, and I only read this in one source, uh, he's hmm. reported as saying she was more against actual fornication than against masturbation. That was kind of less of a sin. Hmm. Okay. Um, so, oh, that's kind of interesting. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. So this woman yeah. just she ran all their lives, and then uh, his father died, right. and mm. you know there was nobody. Not that I think the father protected them, but from 1940 on, she was in complete control. Right, and it was him and his brother. But then apparently the brother rebelled a little bit in his later years against the mother, whereas mm-hmm. Dean kind of just um, continued to be Everly so devout to her and everything she said. And then eventually the brother passed away too, and then it was just him and the mother. So, mm. so. Well, that's an interesting story, how uh, Henry was the older brother. And yes, mm. he would even badmouth Augusta to Eddie, try to say, no, you know, come on. And Henry was yes. going to get married and all this stuff. Uh, but they went out to burn off some vegetation on the farm. And okay. it, it, it got out of control. Henry and Ed couldn't handle it. The fire department came. And then, you know, after all was said and done, Ed went home and said, I can't find Henry. Uh, mm. So people came back. I mean, they had gone home. They came back out with lanterns and flashlights. And lo and behold, they find Henry, not really in the area that had been burned, um, but they find him laying face down. And two sources say with a blunt force injury to the back of his head. Uh, mm. But they said, oh, you know, it was the smoke. It was asphyxiation. Right. And some people thought, gee, maybe Ed had something to do with it. Sure. But nobody filed any charges. And so then when you look at, you know, Henry was going to leave the house. Henry was going to leave the mother. Henry was yeah. saying bad things about the mother. Um, that It all kinds of adds up to one thing. It so. all kinds of adds up. And we don't know that he did it. Sure. But, uh, there's that possibility. Right. So, and the, coroner, after- uh, said it was, the coroner said it was uh, asphyxiation. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. Right. Right. Some investigators suspected that Ed Gain killed his brother. Yes. Right. And then when uh, his mother died in 1945 uh, from a series of strokes, he lost his only friend and one true love. You know, he was yeah. absolutely, absolutely alone in the world. Right. But he mm-hmm. remained on the farm, and, you know, he 
boarded up the rooms used by his mother, including the upstairs, downstairs parlor or the living room, leaving mm. them untouched. He lived in a small room next to the kitchen. Um, right. Then he became interested in reading death cult magazines and adventure mm. stories. Well, mm-hmm. if you go back to what his mother was reading to them, uh, which was from the Bible about the death and the murders and, the, you know, prostitution. From She read from the Old Testament, you know, and uh, divine retribution and stuff like that. I mean, I think that had an effect on him, too, because, you know, growing sure, up. tremendously. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, um, mm. I don't know what some parents are thinking, you know. Sure. I really don't. Yeah, I, I think Augusta went beyond being a religious fanatic to being just, you know, a, a crazy mm. woman. She, wow. And, and in what she was Go ahead. When he when he went to the graves to dig up women, he they were recently buried middle aged woman. Um, he thought resembled his mother and took the bodies home where he tanned their skins to make his mm. paraphernalia. So mm-hmm. I mean, he was digging these women up just to just to be like I guess close to his mother or something. Right. Yep, and, and he wanted to become a woman like his mother. Right, um, which is interesting it, when you think about it, because they say, you know, some of the making the suit and the, the skin masks and things like that. Mm-hmm. Was a, I think, what was it, one psychologist or author said, uh, quote, an insane, you know, transsexual kind of behavior and I think it's interesting being that he idolized his mother so much that all of a sudden he had these kind of sexual identity issues where he's going to kind of want to be a woman. And it's almost like yeah. you emulate her and be her and kind of be as close as you possibly can by, yeah, trying to immortalize her in your own self. Right. Well, and she right. was the most powerful figure that he knew. Right. So it could be that by donning the woman suit, then he would become powerful in his mind, yes. like his mother. And well, I didn't, I didn't read that anywhere. I just thought of that when Leah was talking. Sure. Thank you, Leah. But <laughs> while he was, while he was reading, you know, these pulp fiction magazines and things, he was also studying the reports of Nazi Germany. And I, I think it, most of our listeners are going to be aware that the Nazis huh, made lampshades out of the skin yes. of Jewish prisoners from the concentration camps and right. and kept, you know, parts and whatnot uh, because they considered the Jews to be less than human. So they were animals. Sure. So you could tan their skin. Mm. And uh, this... That's an interesting this, point, actually. Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah. Um, it, it was 1945. He, um, go ahead. No, go, uh, no, I'm good. Oh, is that... Um, I know that he, as scary as it sounds, was babysitting neighborhood children, and apparently mm-hmm. a lot of the children uh, had seen some of the shrunken heads he apparently had in his house. Yeah. And uh, when, you know, asked where they came from or the story he told behind them was that it was a cousin who was a soldier and during World War II, 
uh, I think you said it was like the Philippines or somewhere really, mm-hmm. you know, and, and brought them back. And that was kind of his story as to uh, where they came from. But yeah, a lot of the neighborhood children were able to testify to seeing that, mm-hmm. which, um, God, being babysat by Ed Gein, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, well, you said yeah. when he was younger, he related better to the children. Uh, right, in, which in is school. another thing I find interesting with killers. I think that's actually uh, quite common, and not always in a perverted mm. way, as in a no. pedophile sort of way. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that's true with a lot of killers, at least that I've seen. Um, and I think partly because, you know, Children don't judge the same way as adults exactly. do. They're, they're, exactly. They're, they're accepting. Innocent. Exactly. <laughs> they are. They are. And yeah. he was made fun of, so, you mm-hmm. know, for being slightly effeminate and having a stutter. And, I mean, here, let's just right. stack all these things up against uh, the young man right. once you add in his mother and his father. Right, uh, right. And Absolutely. he, Yeah. But and they did find later on that uh, those shrunken heads were actually you know, heads of of women he had dug up and uh, skinned and yeah I don't know boiled okay, down. Or... He never uh, engaged in any necrophilia. Never. Had I know. <laughs> Tell yes. our audience why he didn't engage in the act of necrophilia. <laughs> Because the bodies smelt too bad, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So he did have some limits. He would dig up bodies. Yeah. He would cut them apart, dissect them, skin them. But he wouldn't have sex with them because they stank. Right. And I mean, <sighs> you know, I can't imagine the body parts he kept in his kitchen and his house smelt too good. But All right. Well, I have a, a list of what they found during the arrest. No. Oh. I have a whole list. They found four noses, whole human bones and fragments, nine masks of human skin, bowls made from human skulls, ten female heads with the top sawed off, human skin covering several chair seats, Mary Hogan's head in a paper bag, Bernice Warden's head in a burlap sack, nine vulvas in a shoebox, Skulls on his bedpost, organs in the refrigerator, a pair of lips on a drawer, on a drawstring for a window shade, Uh-oh. a belt made from human nipples, a lampshade made from the skin from a human face. The artifacts were photographed at the crime lab and then were properly destroyed. I mean that you have to be really, really. Sick, and from what the arrest uh, thing here says is that they were shot with a, a 22 caliber rifle, mm. and then like hung from their ankles from the from the like with a crossbar between their right. ankles there mm-hmm. in the barn. In the same and, fashion and, as a deer, apparently. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. And they were all dressed out like a deer. I mean mm. that that is that's horrible. Imagine that. I mean, you sure. Know. Which kind of right. goes back to the less than human. They're just an animal, you know. You kind of yeah can um, decapitate them and deal with their bodies and disembowel them and everything else as you would an animal because they are not a human woman in his mind. Well, don't forget, yeah. all women were mm. prostitutes and tools of the devil. 
Yes. So, right. you know, yes. I mean, they weren't just animals. They were tools of right. the devil. Uh, yes. But I, technically, um, Ed Gain isn't considered a serial killer because, right. you know, there were only two victims, if you don't count Henry, and we don't have any proof mm-hmm. about Henry. But uh, the other, you know, bizarreness is trophies and things like that. Um, right. That that puts him right up here in the uh, but and you know I think it's interesting that uh, they photographed the objects and then destroyed mm. them because I think even then uh, pieces from a murder would have been been kept in some kind of uh, manner for the trial and sure. and it was just so horrific that they sure. destroyed them they couldn't even look at them um, right. I mean, so, at the same time, too, you think back then, you know, they, uh, evidence wasn't quite as important and valuable as it is today with all our science and technology. And they saw no value as to keeping things with blood and DNA because it meant nothing, really. So mm-hmm. I guess that's also a factor as to why they would deem it as unimportant to hold on to. Um, apparently, one of the lead detectives, though, who... Um, is said to have bashed his head in, you know, during the interrogation, um, was so kind of traumatized by that investigation that he died, you know, a kind of premature death, a heart attack. And um, a lot of people counted him as another victim, basically saying, yeah, you know, if it hadn't been for this case Mm -hmm. of investigation, uh, he would have been no longer alive. Yeah. Yeah, And and let me go back a little. He, he, He died before the um, trial, is that correct? Because he lost it with right. Ed Gain and smashed his face into the table yeah. and then was afraid, you know, he'd have to testify to that. And, mm. Oh, but still, That's true. above also and beyond. Because apparently he, uh, the trial didn't happen until 10 years later because at mm-hmm. first he went to a... Uh, like a mental facility, a mental hospital. Yes. And then it was 10 years later when they saw that he was, okay, fit to stand trial, that the trial happened. And then after that, yeah, it was taken back to uh, a different hospital. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And and this so, was kind of a small town, Wisconsin. Uh, right. Am I right? I mean, there was... Right. And in the way that uh, children and other people mm. will... They made up tons of jokes and songs about Ed Gain. Sure. Um, they even called them Gainisms. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I know. <laughs> what did Ed Gain oh, say when a hearse went by? <laughs> Dig you later, baby. Um, oh, just, boy. <laughs> and uh, just, why do they keep the hate on in Ed Gain's house so the furniture won't get goosebumps? I, I, it just, and, and we all know that's the way we deal with horror. Sometimes sure. is exactly. is is you make it humorous. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> there once was a fellow named Ed who liked to take women to bed. When he wanted to diddle, he'd cut out their middle and hang up the rest in the shed. Uh. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, and yeah. some of these I'm sure were teenagers that he had babysat for. Right, uh, right. So that, that that again may be the way they dealt with it. Sure. Uh, ugh, but uh, no, it is. And no. Apparently there's like whole papers of that out there. I, I didn't find them all. Um, mm. 
so I just, but here, yet the, we don't see the same religious aspect, I think, that we see in other cases where okay. um, our murderers have, but he killed his brother, and, mm. you know, right out of the Bible there we have Cain and Abel. Sure. Um, so that was, I, it's just, and those two women that he killed, it, mm. that, no, that was a, a first for him. Kind of um, closely um, together in time frame, those two murders. I'm not sure, I'm just guessing, being that mm-hmm. it's a small town. So, yeah. Um, so it couldn't have um, had a big time space apart the two, but but that's just no. guessing. Yeah. 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 And I I just wow. I don't I know. I mean I'm not sure, but I mean I I the little I know about him, I would. Um, it seems like he was possibly didn't really have much sexual experience in his life, being no. the relationship with his mother and everything else. It seemed mm-hmm. that, um, and again, and not having sex with the the victims because while he said, right. that, um, they, well, yeah, he says it's because they smelt bad. I I kind of don't buy that being he kept their body parts all over his mm. house. So. Yeah, well, I don't I don't believe yeah. that he had uh, a girlfriend at any time. Uh, right. In fact, when he was in school, his mother discouraged him having friends. And when right. he did bring a friend home once, he was ordered off the property and he was hmm. beaten. You know, I mean, you just right. you don't bring people here. This is our house. They're all evil. They're so I, he couldn't even have a, a fellow from school to play marbles with, let alone sure. have a girlfriend. Right, um, right. And that's what it so, seems like. You know, he never had, you know, a wife, a girlfriend, nothing like that. Mm-hmm. And it was just his brother and his mother until the brother and, passed away and the mother passed away. So, right. And um, well, and the brother rebelled. And, right. You know, exactly. how horrific for, you know, the, the younger brother to see his older brother ready to break all the rules. I mean, he was not yep. only going to get married, he was marrying a divorcee. I mean, she's already right. going to hell. Um, sure. So, oh, just yeah, just horrendous. So yeah, some some uh, some authors say he also enjoyed pornography, but uh, hmm. a real woman, a real friend, I I can't imagine. Yeah, um, I, I I kind of find that one hard to uh, picture myself. So. Um. Mm. Yeah. So and and I know and again the the speculations on the suits and uh, the skin suits and all of that, I I really do think, yeah, it was more out of emulating or trying to emulate his mother and immortalize her and resemble her rather than mm-hmm. the sexual side to it. Um, right. Because I don't really think that there was much of a sexual, you know, fire going on in him. I think that was kind of put out very early on. And, and that right. was... So. Right. Well, yeah, that's a good point. Um, because so often we see uh, sexual pieces to these murders that we are exploring. But other than, I mean, the oddness, he'd cut out the, the vulva and labia sure. of women and then stuff them in women's panties that he wore. Right. Okay, that's sexual. That's 
more than a little weird, but... Uh, but is it sexual, or is it trying to feminize yourself? I don't know. But you could way. be right. It, it, it feels <laughs> sexual to me. Yeah, uh, he also, I on the surface, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, yeah he also was, said um, that he never cannibalized, uh, that hmm. he did not eat these, but he would take packages of meat to his neighbors, tell them it was ah, deer, right. and... He never went hunting. So, okay. you know, how I've many of those actually, neighbors um, wonder, oh, like, what did he feed me? Sure, sure. Um, I've heard that with some other um, different killers, um, one in Russia and another woman in Australia, and it this kind of um, butchering the meat of your victim, and they are the ones who don't, partake in it, but they take some sort of pleasure in serving it to their children or to their neighbors or to somebody else, you know, and that's always kind of an interesting uh, little, you know, aspect to think of is that bizarre yeah. they get out of that rather than them themselves taking part. So um, it's a strange woman, to say the least. Yes, absolutely. Uh, a strange one. Oh, good heavens. Um <laughs> Yeah. Well, we have we have had some pretty uh, pretty strange stuff uh, mm. come across these shows, but hmm. right. Uh, <laughs> these these two kind of take the cake in their own way, though. I mean, <laughs> yes. Oh yes. yeah, these these two guys here are like really nothing compared to what we had. These these guys are like really <laughs> whacked out and and really insane at some point, right. you know. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Especially the and of course, kids that this was going on in. I mean, Gene was what in the 1950s when these murders were happening, and mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, and then Fish, you know, at the beginning of the century as well. You know, that's so, right. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting time frame for all of this, uh, rather than some of the more infamous killers we know of from the 70s and 80s and things like that. So, mm. um, Well, but don't forget, we have social sure. media. We yeah. have news broadcasts Absolutely. that just weren't available uh, sure. at that time. So, oh, we've always uh, had them, exactly. It was just mm. uh, there's a reason why they kind of really came to light in some of those later decades. So absolutely. Yeah. Mm. But uh, it, I don't know, these two, putting these two together was a, a horror mm. story. And I have to admit, I I don't watch scary movies. Um, I don't I don't like them. I, <laughs> if I'm alone in the house, then I want to turn on all the lights and stuff before I go to bed. Um, the, uh, the Silence of the Lambs movie, mm. which was based in a great part on, on Ed Gein, I couldn't even watch it. I've never even seen it. And there's that new show, God, Hannibal, and I'm like, nope, can't watch it. And I thought, maybe uh, I should watch it and prep for this show. And you know what? Uh, Wasn't happening. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you can read up on the real thing, so that's kind of mm, Yeah, that's, that's as bad as it, uh, yeah, that's pretty bad as it is. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh. Fair enough. Um, actually, the last bit on game, I mean, uh, was he ever diagnosed uh, with anything in particular as being schizophrenic or anything like that? Or is that not really known or 
first no, sentence. No, they, they had just said that they he was acquitted and put into a mental hospital where he, he had passed away in the mental hospital. Right, and that right. Was, so he, he was deemed insane. Um, sure. I don't know what kind of uh, diagnosis. Right, right. Right. Well, let's see. I diagnose him as a, as crazy. That's a technical term. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. That's, yes, that's the man fair. was stinking nuts. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, mm-hmm. we we can see that. Uh, oh boy, I don't know. They always blame the mother, but I think we really have to blame the mother in this one. I agree. I think the mother is uh, definitely at fault here. Um, (laughs) Okay. I just pulled this up on uh, one of the wiki sites, Criminal Minds, and he was diagnosed as a schizophrenic, Uh. which, I mean, I don't think he was hearing voices, was he? Did we ever... um, I don't seem to know about that, but then again, I I kind of... um, I'm not super familiar with all the details of the case. So. Mm, yeah, I'm not he's schizophrenic and a, a sexual psychopath, uh-huh. uh, which I can see. Uh, that's that's pretty clear. Um, hmm. I don't know. Hmm, I, I don't know. Schizophrenia, that's a tough one. That's right. a tough one. Because no one ever, I don't think he ever said, God made me do this. Or, you know, my mother came back and said, make a suit of skin and you will be like me. Um, Right. So it's hard to tell. I mean, God, being isolated in your own mind like that in the middle of nowhere for years at a time with that bizarre influence and God knows where your mind goes at some point, yeah. and evidently it didn't go anywhere good. So no, um. no, no. <laughs> now one source, no one source mm-hmm. that I looked at suggested that he had to have someone with him to help him bring these, dig these bodies up and move them because he wasn't very tall and he wasn't a particularly right. strong man. Uh, but I, I, as I said, I only saw this in one source, and the, the source stated that the friend's name was Gus and I thought Augusta hmm. Gus ah. wow where you know uh, since he had never really had friends this kind of right. came out of left field and I only saw it once so I, I have nothing to support it but, but is it true that they confirmed that because they seem to remember no. that Oh, you remember that? Um, I had not. I yeah, had I not seen it confirmed. Okay. But what I what I remember was it was the police had speculated when they first yes. met him that there was no possible way he could be doing this on his own. But then upon investigating the grave sites, and they kind of deemed that he must have come back and done this a few times, but not all in mm-hmm. one night. And it seemed like maybe they eventually somehow came to the conclusion that he was able to do it on his own. But at first, yeah, they definitely thought he had help. Now, that's what I remember, but, I mean, I can't totally um, confirm that. So I I can't totally confirm what they ultimately decided on, but that's just what I remember about that. Yep, I I remember that. Here he was going around uh, digging up all these graves, and uh, it said after he died July 26th of respiratory and heart failure due to cancer, and 
Goodwin Hall at the Mendota Mental Health Institute. His grave site was is in Plainsville Field Cemetery, and it was frequently vandalized over the years. Sylvaneer yeah. seekers chipped off pieces of his gravestone before the bulk of it was actually stolen in 2000, and they recovered it June 2001 near Seattle, and they now have it in a a museum in Wasahara County. I guess that's the county that Plainfield was in. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, you know. I know his car as well, actually, at the time. I believe it was auctioned off, and then... For $750. Right, right, and and yeah. where did it go after it was auctioned off? We should have trivia. They, they went in some sort of kind of traveling sideshow or something yes, like that. Yes, they, they the joined the circus, and people could pay money to see the yeah. car Ed Gain used to haul away the bodies. Right, um, right, yeah. Wow. Well, see, with me being into the paranormal and everything, and yes. Spirits do have feelings, and they do get angry. They can laugh. They can cry. I mean, to me, this was what he did by desecrating graves the way he did. This was just um, karma on his own grave, mm. you know? Oh, good point. I guess so. Mm. I mean, Karma came back to bite him in the ass for what he did to those graves. I mean, I wonder, I, I wonder how right. he feels. You know. Yeah. Mhm. Hmm. I mean, I believe he is now. Um, he's still in that same cemetery, but in an unmarked grave is what I seem to remember. So they probably Although, have like a footstone or something there. Right. Right. Or they did, um, like, I know here in Connecticut, we have uh, the Green Lady Cemetery, Elizabeth mm-hmm. um is known as the Green Lady, and they were doing that to her original stone, chipping off pieces, and they even tried digging her up a few times, you know, and... Uh, okay. <sighs> What happened was the historical society eventually removed the stone and put a fake stone there, and somebody stole the fake stone. Oh. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, my. Well, yeah. Hmm. So, I mean, I this is what makes it hard to get into cemeteries at night because everybody's like, well, no, you're going to go in there and do something to the cemetery, and it's like, you know... <laughs> Sure. People just need to learn respect of the dead. And, and to me, he had no respect for the dead. None. Right. Which is a little ironic that he desecrated and, uh, yeah, you know, kind of stole corpses and did what he did with them. And later on, his uh, own grave was, you know, disturbed. So that's kind of mm-hmm. a, a little ironic there, a little bit of a twist. Well, like him, I said, so. karma came back to bite him in the ass. Sure, sure. <laughs> well, yeah. now, we don't know if he ever bit any of them in the ass, but it could have happened. <laughs> he could, could have happened. Have happened. surviving family because, I mean, he didn't have any children. His brother, I don't think, had any children. So, right. Um, yeah, so it seems like uh, that's it for the Gein family. I mean, as far as I know, um, on the surface, that's what it seems to be. Yeah. 
Well, in a way, a wacky story. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. Yes. Um, and, and I mean, and the timing of it that uh, that he was he came of age, and then his mother mother passed uh, with Nazi Germany going on, and I mean mm. that that apparently planted a seed, and sure. uh, uh, it's. No, mm. I, I'm really tired of these, these these serial killers where we're blaming the mother, though. Judy, can we find <laughs> one where they blame the father? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I just... <laughs> oh, in general... You might be able to find one. Okay, I, I think we should search for that. And if anyone who's listening knows of one then uh hey we want to hear it maybe we can uh can do a show that right. says that I mean, there's definitely some uh, serial killers who had a fathers who um could be who at least partially to blame who, yeah 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 um did some horrible things to them so mm. um now if it's all their fault i don't know but um at least it's a factor <laughs> and that's but generally what I tend to think with serial killers is it's kind of um, like a little bit of a recipe with all these different screwed up ingredients that all kind of come together and mm. eventually explode into a tragedy of sorts. So, um, yeah, in a way, so, I mean, yeah. we look at uh, Jeffrey Dahmer and he had, compared to our other serial killers, a pretty ideal uh, family. Mm. Um, you know, I mean... A brother being uh-huh. born at a at an inopportune time for him, or you know, right. and, and so I mean, there were things that could have pushed him that way, but he wasn't abused. He wasn't right, and uh, so uh, Michael Ross the, was not uh, abused either. Pardon? Michael Ross was never abused either. Mm, oh, refresh me on Michael Ross. He just got into killing teenage girls and stuff and I mean he was a very very smart kid and he had gone to universities and you know took agricultural courses and stuff like that but he came from a very very good family mm. well yeah so there is there is a so then there's to... also the the cases of um I mean I know there's some of the killers I know who yeah, they had, you know, their family life uh, wasn't what was at issue. They had a kind of, you know, stable, caring family for argument's sake. And um, But the abuse or the kind of traumatic events came from outside of the household, and the family didn't know. And then mm. them as young children are the ones left to kind of deal with it and rationalize it and figure it out in their heads and you know most of the time children can't sort through that kind of thing because they barely understand it themselves and you know then that kind of festers and you know doesn't always turn everybody into a serial killer but it you know definitely a a factor for some so you know there's that too it's not always the direct family it's um sometimes outside of the home and only Mm. found out later on after the fact when it's much too late well, I'm yes. going to uh, bring us right into doing um, Edwin Fales Snellgrove, also known as Ned Snellgrove. Um, 
his classification as murder, his characteristics as rape. Uh, his number of victims is two, which was one was Karen Os- Osmanard, 23 years old, and Carmen Rodriguez, 22 years old, stabbed them with a knife um, and strangulation. I mean, this kid came from a very, very uh, well-to-do family, um, very, very nice people. He was always a quiet kid in school, mm. never always minded his own business. Everything was yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. You know, very well mannered. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't know what got into him, but, um, yeah, I'm kind of yeah. glad. He had asked me to the prom, and I'm kind of glad I didn't go with him because I might have been one of his victims. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Judy, you know? I- I know you shared this at the beginning, but uh, how shocked were you to find his name when you were investigating um, serial killers? I I was actually, what I was doing because years ago, um, I had a friend of mine that I used to take care of his dogs. And this one particular day, I'm walking to my mom's house in a black pickup truck stopped and said, Judy? And I'm like, Yeah. And it was a fellow that was involved with a mass murder at a Donnelly Bakery shop where seven people got shot, you know. And I'm like, mm. you know, that that was kind of freaky. <laughs> but, you know, he never harmed me or never did anything right. bad to me. And we've been talking ever since. I mean, I've been to his house down the street from my mother. He's got a litter of Rottweiler puppies. So, you know, he's given uh. me one. And that's <laughs> right. important that he not spend the rest of his life punished after he's out of prison. No. Did he what? That he not be punished uh, by society after he's out of mm. prison. I mean, he served right. his well, time. He wasn't, he wasn't the shooter. He, uh, the other guy was the shooter. He and he was just present at the scene? Or what, what right. was his role? Right, exactly. Okay. okay. Um, but this kid here, I mean, I was searching for that guy and ran across Ned. And I'm like, <laughs> wow, I really forgot about him. But, you know, when all this stuff was going down with him back um, when it happened in the 80s, uh, mm. I mean, yeah, I was shocked by it. I was sure. totally shocked by it, you know, because sure. he just did not come across as that type of person. You know, right. How old was he? You know, when he committed the crimes. I mean, was it kind of when he was pretty young, or was it much later on in life? It was during his college years. Uh, Mm -hmm. It it was uh, 1983 when he was dating Karen Osman of New Brunswick, Jersey, Um, and she was also 23, and she was a graduate student at Rutgers University. University, mm-hmm. and at that time, um, he became the prime suspect, but what he did was uh, he strangled her to death first and then stabbed her. Oh, well, okay. A little over you know? there then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. You know, and then in 1980, he was released from jail after... Uh, spending 10 years in jail. Okay. He was released. And then in 1987, he 
killed this Ellen Raynard. But the prison time he did, was it for this first murder or was it on something unrelated? He did uh, the first murder. He, he spent 10 years in jail. Okay. Oh, so he was okay for that. Okay. Yeah, he was sentenced to 20 to 10. Now right. he's sentenced to 60 years. And I mean, it really mm-hmm. blows my mind because he's in a minimum security prison right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah, maybe he's a model inmate. Maybe he, uh, yeah. Well, that's why they let him out, because they said that he was, like, they let him out for good behavior and stuff the first time. Yeah, that's, oh. Uh, And didn't he write uh, to one of his friends that, that, uh, you know, he, he botched it up? If she hadn't died, my name, you know, I wouldn't have even come into it. But uh, he had said he'd gotten rough with another girl before. Uh, I don't know. Hmm. And, yeah, he, yeah, but, but Judy, tell us about him in school. Tell, him, tell us what he was like in high school. He, he was very quiet and, like, uh, kept to himself more or less. You know, uh, very nice. Like I said, he's a very nice kid. You'd never expect it mm. out of somebody like him. It's always the quiet ones you got to watch out for. <laughs> but, I mean, I used to go to his house. We all used to go snowmobiling together and sled riding okay. and horseback riding. And it's like mm. you never even thought. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, his parents were very good to him. Now, his, both him and his sister were adopted, so I don't know if there's any mental illnesses in his biological family. Right. That I can't say. Mm. Has he been diagnosed with anything that you know of? I mean, did that Not come up that I know trial? of. I haven't, seen, okay. I haven't seen him since 1977. Right, right, right. Wow. So, and he confessed to what he did. He's not trying to proclaim innocence here, right? He uh, no, he confessed okay. to it. No, wow. mm. okay. Mm. You know, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. Just, and that's what we say. I mean, look he, at he our, actually, our people walking around us. Instead yes. of going to trial, he he actually pled guilty to the assaulting of Mary Ellen Reynard and to murdering mm. Karen. Mm. Okay. He was convicted of aggravated manslaughter, aggravated criminal sexual contact, and criminal attempted homicide. That's a slew of charges, yeah. Mm. Mm. But he asked you out to yep. prom, Judy, so what's the story yeah, there? I, uh, yeah. And you said well, no. Nobody, <laughs> he, I didn't go with him. Oh, okay. I was was dating somebody else. Oh, here, okay. Ah. He's he's the one that said that Ted Bundy Bundy was his muse. Oh. Oh, okay. And he should emulate Bundy's practice of choosing victims far from his home. Ah. Yes. Yep. And I I found uh, I found the letter. He was talking about, he conversed with a friend uh, by mail 
while he was in the New Jersey prison. And uh, usually it was sports talk, sock market, blah, blah, blah. And then in one letter he wrote, and I'm quoting, there is something I couldn't tell you or even my parents last winter when I was out on bail. This incident last August was not the first time I lost control of myself with a girl. You'll never believe what I'm about to tell you. I had actually gotten away with murder. So he's saying, yep, he did it before, and no one's Mm. ever associated it with him. So, uh, and yeah, he was, when he, Mm -hmm. after the murder of Karen Osman, um, yeah, he was like, oh, my lawyers are doing great. They got it down to 10 years. I'll (laughs) be eligible for parole in 10. And he did. Um, Right. You know? What's interesting about that? I mean, I I know of a, a, a few different inmates who committed a murder and were arrested and did their time, and you could say were given a second chance at life by being released, and mm-hmm. they went ahead and did it again, and sometimes you know a few more times, and I don't know. You'd think you'd serve ten years and kind of realize, oh man, this wasn't worth it, but apparently not with some people. So. Mm. Um, and I guess that, yeah, for him too. So, so there's well, a the compulsion. Second, the second oh, girl he murdered, uh, mm-hmm. he met her right after his release uh, from prison in 1991. Okay. And uh, he met her at a bar in Hartford, Connecticut. And right. actually, he killed her and drove her all the way to Rhode Island. Hmm. So, I mean, of course, she was reported as missing, and they didn't find her body till January 6th of 2002 in Rhode right, Island. Right, right. And she, her body was hogtied in 11 trash bags, and mm. the only way she was identified was the police recognized a tattoo on her leg. Oh, wow. Jeez. Yeah. So he, he might have gotten away with that one. Yep. Yeah. Mm. And I mean, they had prison letters uh, for evidence and, you know, everything on him. Right, right. You know? Hmm. Are they investigating him, though, for any other cases, any other murders they suspect him of, or are they pretty confident they have them? Not that we know of, anyway. Um, Well, yeah, nothing has ever come up about Mm. that. Yeah, except that he uh, said he, that he got away sure. with murder, and and right. he made this point of saying, you know, like he learned from Bundy's mistakes. Uh, Bundy mm. kept maps and schedules and and uh, right. pamphlets about the hotels and the beaches and ski resorts, and he bought gas with credit cards. So he looked at this and said, "See, that just left a trail for the police." So, right. you know, how many victims could there be? Yeah, I guess so. But, uh, I mean, ultimately, I guess he didn't learn too well from Bundy's mistakes if he's sitting behind bars. But, mm. yeah. Well, yeah, it, but it was a long time. And if someone hadn't recognized <laughs> yes. that tattoo, you know, right. he'd, still be, he'd still be walking the streets. Sure. Well, even it says here, um, after admitting in 1988 that he had murdered a former girlfriend and stabbed another woman, Edwin Snellgrove wrote, 
to a New Jersey judge about violent sexual fantasies that started when he was a second grader. He described Mm -hmm. images of strangling or hitting a woman on the head, carrying her limp body to a bed and arranging her arms and legs in some kind of seductive pose. You know, Mm -hmm. and I mean, this this is not the person I know. Sure. At the same time, the minute, you know, you have a killer, an inmate who starts, uh, you know, trying to kind of have an ego about their crimes and they start trying to, you know, say things like that, I do sometimes, you know, want to take it with a grain of salt and wonder how true it is, you know, or are they just trying to kind of boost the boogeyman, you know, persona and try and get a little more attention for what they've done. You know, on the other hand, yeah, it may be absolutely true. So it's always kind of a fine line to uh, figure that one out if it's uh, just for a kind of bizarre bragging sake or or the truth. Right. Mm. Well, I I mean, I Mm. hope he he serves his 60 years because then when he's released, he'll be 103. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, you know we can outrun him if necessary, but uh, I have a, right. a quote here, uh, and I believe it was also in the letter to the judge Judy or another letter that uh, wouldn't it be a great story? Snell Grove said, "When I pick up right where I left off." So he has no expectations of stopping if he's. No, he doesn't. As a matter of fact, the prosecutor said uh, he considered him the most dangerous defendant he had ever prosecuted. Wow. You know? I mean, that's kind of scary. And uh, you said he's bright and well-read and capable of fooling all but the very best psychiatrists and social workers. Wow. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Now, Judy, do you know? Does he have family or any any support or 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 anything like that, or is he kind of his, on his own? mom is his mom is still alive and his sister's still alive. So okay. I don't know if they visit him. I doubt it very much, right? Because right. you know they're very like prim and proper people, and their son mm. couldn't do this. You know, sure. I mean, and. Uh, they all need to really um, wake up and smell the coffee. <laughs> right. Well, but you know, yeah. I mean, this, that must, this kid might just has be too gone. painful for them to, you know. Hmm. Um, I mean, that and, really and, does I, seem to be the way it is. So, I mean, I see with inmate families, once they go to prison, they either kind of hang on to them for dear life, you know, and are there for everything possible and do everything they can. Or it's the most extreme opposite, and, you know, they walk away and pretty much treat them like they're dead, you know. So yeah. there's not much gray area in, you know, or middle ground there. It's really one or the other, at least in my experience. Right, right. Mm. Well, the one woman that he had pulled into uh, his car, Mary Ellen Renard, um, she actually, they actually did two shows on him. One was on the Oxygen Network uh, mm. series was called Captured. And uh, also the investigation discovery series um, on the case with Paula Zahn and Mary Ellen uh, Renard, she provides statements about her horrifying ordeal with him. 
mm-hmm. you know. And uh, right. I also have uh, a man that actually wrote uh, a couple books on him, um, William M. William Phelps. One of the books was Dance with the Devil. Mm-hmm. And the other one, I'm getting to the photo, uh, I'll Be Watching You. It, and it includes exclusive interviews with a serial killer and one brave victim who survived. So, I mean, they and he interviewed him and then also interviewed uh, Mary Ellen Renard on that. Wow. Yep. Oh, now, now, Leah, you've you've been there to support. Um, some prisoners after yes. their families have turned your back, turned their back on them, and uh, right. and things like that. How do how do these men relate to you? I mean, you know, do you think they're taking advantage of you, or or uh, uh, no? By by and large, no. I mean, of course, uh, you know, there's some people that um, you know. I, I definitely think are. Uh, not quite on the up and up with their intentions, but um, mm-hmm. by and large, you know, these are people who have been in prison for, you know, 20, 30 years, have absolutely no one. And, yeah. you know, you kind of come along in their life and you're not asking them for something. You're not kind of, you know, trying to make them feel like the boogeyman like that they're used to. And, you know, you're kind of treating them like a human being, which mm. can be refreshing. And um, a lot of them get very... Um, attached and very scared that they're going to lose you right away and that you're mm-hmm. going to go away. And, um, and so, yeah, and they usually, yeah, do become very attached. And, mm-hmm. you know, I have guys who kind of call me their granddaughter, their daughter, things like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, kind of you become all they've got and the closest thing to them. So, yeah, yeah. Has has anyone that you've you've met under these circumstances have you ever be, been afraid of them or left and thought no I I I can't go back to that that's just that's too much no, for me No, there's nobody there's nobody I have ever met who um, I've been afraid of um, in fact it actually surprised me that it's usually quite the opposite where they're usually kind of scared of me at first and very nervous and scared and don't know what to do. And I'm the one kind of calming them down and reassuring them and kind of trying to make Mm -hmm. them at ease and make them comfortable, which, uh, believe me, is never the way I thought it would be, you know, uh, in the early days. So Yeah. um, Well, tell us about that. What what did you think when when this all started? Uh, First of all, how did you get interested in this? Oh, boy. I mean, I've had an interest in crime since, you know, I was, uh, you know, a very little kid for from all kinds of reasons. And then um, I basically, to put it in a nutshell, dated a musician who was blamed for um, a kind of well-known case that his music was blamed for. And um, that's kind of what drug me into um, basically sitting down with inmates for the first time. I tagged along with him. That opened up my eyes to, okay, this is what, you know, death row is like and, you know, inmates and their life and innocent people really do get caught up in this and kind of mm-hmm. the um, the terrible reality of what it's like and that they're human beings. And 
And from there, it definitely kind of uh, made me reach out to other people whose cases I always found interesting and, you know, going into it not really expecting anything at all. Okay. You know? and, so, um, yeah. yeah. So you had so a personal relationship with someone uh, I did. who got involved with this and, and then you saw other people that, that needed help, that needed support. Yes. And you felt yes. that, that they weren't getting yeah. it. Right. Um, I mean that, you know, I write for a living. There's a lot of guys who ask me if I can help them um, in that sort of way. And, you know, there's sometimes I don't think I can be much help or I do point them in the direction of somebody else. And in some cases, yeah, I definitely try and do what I can, uh, especially mm. when it's people who I think are at the end of grave injustices. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I kind of want to do what I can to help them out. And, and yeah. being when you're close to them and, you know, they kind of trust you with their families and their deepest, darkest secrets, they kind of trust you're going to do right by them. Um, yes. Well, it would be a horrible betrayal. Um, yes, exactly. To turn on them. Mm-hmm. And they do definitely give you trust tests along the way, little different things to see. And, and yeah, at some point they really kind of know, all right, you know, I know where we stand. And um, and that's when that kind of thing will come into play. So, and um. Yeah, I am glad to help, you know, if I can. And, uh, mm-hmm. and of course, try to shed light on the death penalty and kind of uh, everything that goes into that, being that I think a lot of people are not aware unless um, they either take a particular interest or unfortunately come um, into contact with it, either because they have an inmate as a family member or they themselves are in prison or something like that. But um, Mm. by and large, I think the realities of what go into it, a lot of people are not aware of. And that's something I would kind of like to change. So if possible. Um, Mm. So yeah, it's a little bit of all of that, but um, definitely doing what I can to help out families when possible. You know, Um, I'd hope Mm -hmm. somebody would do it for me. If God forbid I was on the, uh, other side of the bars so uh sure well yeah i quite often feel that way you know boy uh i've got a lot but there was a time when i really didn't so yeah there's uh Mm. there's a lot to to hand back right Uh, and when you have absolutely nothing the way a lot of these inmates have absolutely nothing i mean you know i can't even begin to tell you how grateful they are and in a way sometimes you know when they talk about inmates being oh, con men and this and that. Well, yeah, of course, there's inmates who are con men. But on the flip side of it, I think sometimes their intense kind of gratitude, you know, can be kind of mistaken for that because they do definitely overcompensate sometimes for, you know, how can I thank you and how, you know, and um, telling you how much you mean to them and everything. And definitely if it was coming off of someone from the street, it would be a little bit bizarre and, definitely would probably seem disingenuous. But when mm-hmm. you put it in the circumstance of an inmate in prison, generally solitary confinement, who's got nothing, it makes a little bit more sense, you know, and, um, mm. and they do try to hang on to you with your life. So, mm. um, so yeah, but um, it's definitely a fascinating world. It's, it's sad and tragic and funny and rewarding and scary and, a little bit of everything all wrapped into one. So yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. Judy, we have a, a show coming up with a, a different look at uh, prison and prisoners. Uh, I think we're ready to share our next coming uh, show. 
on Thursday night, and Leah, you're more than welcome to come back. We have All right. uh, Andrew Dodge coming on, and we're going to be talking about um, Murderbilia Auction House. So that's going to be one interesting show, I would say. Sure. You know, Absolutely. Um, I have been messaging back and forth with him and everything, and he's a great guy, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then sweetheart. What I am what I am working on now and I am pulling together is about the uh who, who the guy is actually the guy is a uh they have him down as a um mass murderer. Mm. His name is Robert Dale Segui. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh it was back in nineteen forty four when he set the circus tent on fire here in Hartford, Connecticut. Oh, wow. And actually, they don't even know what to classify him as a serial killer or mass murderer. uh, That sounds like a mass murderer to me, but I don't really know the details. So, but from the surface, it sounds like a mass murderer. Well, he, he, uh, he confessed to it all. You know? okay. He confessed to it all, and... Before I have this show, I'm hoping that I actually get, because I know where the memorial is and where the the cemetery is, where the people are buried, and I'm hoping to get out there and get some actual pictures, Mm. you know, of my own. That would be interesting. I could post pictures up here of uh, what I find on the computer, but it's not the same. You know, it's just... Not the same. So I would really. And like it's always to interesting to check that out for you for yourself. See it with your own eyes and oh, and I've yeah. Been before I had the oh, pictures. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, I've been to the memorial. I took a whole bunch of pictures there. I went to the cemetery both day and night. Took pictures there, and I had an external drive, and my lovely son decided <laughs> to erase. Over five thousand paranormal pictures on me, including oh, no. a book I wrote. Yeah, but hmm. yep. Ooh, it does happen. Oh well. <laughs> yeah, well, it does. Go back so and and take some more. So that's right. We're gonna need to take some more. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but yeah, so we have uh, a couple more shows, listeners, coming up, and uh, they're gonna be interesting. I don't know exactly how fast I could pull the Hartford one together because it's just so much that is there. Yes. So much information I have that I have to actually sit down at the computer and write everything out. And, you know, it just seems like every time I start doing something, like I was preparing for this show for this past Thursday, and I'm up at Mom's house taking care of her, every time I sat down, to start writing stuff out, my mother wanted ice, or she wanted this, or she wanted that, and it's like, I got so frustrated at one point, I actually slammed my, I, I threw my computer onto the sofa, threw my pen in the air, which went behind me, I was just like so aggravated. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, well, at 92 years old, she doesn't understand the radio shows I'm doing, she doesn't sure. understand much of anything, you Ooh, know, and she's right. very, very demanding. That's you know? that's true. That's uh, true. 
I mean, I'm no. crazy up there on a daily basis, believe me. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> caring caring for an elderly relative, uh, it's a thankless job sometimes. Sure. And, well, see, the, the thing is, is once my dad passed away, I thought I was free and clear because my daughter was going to take care of her grandmother. Yeah, okay. Mm. That panned <laughs> out for about two years. <clears throat> right. And she's fed up with it, so. Right. Well, and your daughter went back to school, which, you know, is a very laudable thing to do. It's not like she's out running the streets. Right, right. <laughs> no, know, that's, true. She's, that's true. She's she's trying. She's out there out there working. No, so. but they did have an aide at one point in time, and uh, the aide had a baby, so she couldn't take care of my mother no more. Hmm. But it's, yeah. it's hard. You know? Well, at I least mean, you're there, and you know you're able to do it. So, um, yeah, yeah. Even though it can be frustrating, I mean, yeah, I'm sure you're the best person for the job. At the end of the day, yeah. Mm-hmm. At least I know she's not being abused in any way. That's right. right. That's right. You know. So mm-hmm. okay, so we have uh, well, actually, the uh, the Hartford show. It sounds to me like it will be a combination of our murder uh, shows and the paranormal because there's certainly... Uh, oh, it most definitely will. I mean, I yeah. actually... And uh, Heather, you've seen my clown, Emmett. Mm-hmm. I actually have had him lay up for 56 years. He oh, was wow. the first um, doll that I ever got from my grandparents when I was a baby. Right. And Emmett, Emmett Kelly was actually one of the clowns that was involved in this circus, and he ran out to go get a bucket of water, and when he came mm. back, it was too late. Mm. Oh, wow. Yep. Yeah, and uh, he just stood there and started crying, and that's why it's called uh, The Day the Clowns Cried. Ah, okay, okay, that's interesting. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Mm. And uh, I, and I must say, I am most appreciative of this that I've told Judy. Uh, my mother and her cousin had tickets to go uh, to the circus, and she was pregnant with my brother, who was born oh, wow. September fourth. And my father said, "You're not driving all the way down there, <laughs> you know, to Hartford from Springfield. Sure. Um, when you're pregnant like this, you know what happens." to you if you try to have that baby on the side of the road so she <laughs> didn't go and it oh, might wow. very well my crotchety dad may have saved both <laughs> their lives and I certainly wouldn't that be here like because it. you know I'm 18 yeah. years younger than that brother so <laughs> I'm glad dad didn't let her go yes absolutely but, uh, oh wow you that's know an interesting little tidbit of information there so i know oh, well wow. it's it's always interesting it's like working on these uh these murder shows and then uh judy doing research and saying oh my word i almost went to the prom with him you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's not a connection we, you find every day we so, find yeah. those kinds of connections and uh right it makes the shows a, a little more special because you think really are could be anybody. Yes, could be anybody. Yes. I don't know. So it well, be. it was interesting this evening getting to talk about you know fish and geese and yeah, those are definitely some um, 
some of our more infamous cases and, mm-hmm. you know, darker cases. So I'm glad we got to cover those. And, um, yeah, I definitely learned a couple things about them that I did not know. So, um, yeah, it was a great evening for that. Yeah. Well, good. I was. I'm glad to hear it. Yes. Oh, this was a great comeback show, and I want to thank Heather for co-hosting and Leah, you being on again. That's that's great. I love having you both on together. I mean, we get through a lot of stuff, you know. That's sure. Right. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yes. And sometimes we all have a, a different perspective, and that's what works. <laughs> that we do. <laughs> yeah. And listeners, boy, if you have a perspective to share with us, uh, don't forget to give us a call in. And we've certainly got some great shows to uh, for you to have opinions on or interest in coming up. Right. We sure Absolutely. do. We sure do. Mm-hmm. And with that, I'm, I have an early start tomorrow because uh, I recently moved, Heather. You didn't know that. Oh, I moved. you moved. I moved yesterday into an efficiency hotel room. Oh, and I now have my own kitchen. Oh, my own that's wonderful. Kitchen. So it's like now it's not in walking distance, so I have to be up early to be ready by between 7 and quarter after 7 so my daughter could come pick me up and drop me off at mom. Yeah. Well, congratulations on the move. I know uh, you were not comfortable where you were. So this is a big step forward. Yes, it is. Okay. I have a full-size refrigerator now. Oh, oh hot darn. That's <laughs> <laughs> a nice uh, luxury. Yeah. It, it is when you've been, you know, living on the, the low side. Something like right. this is just, oh, you you, you want to say thank you to, to everybody involved when you get that step yeah. up, that boost up. So I'm really glad, and I expect to hear all about it tomorrow, Judy. <laughs> well, I'll call you in a little while. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I'll All be right, eating my Austin. now cold roast lamb. <laughs> okay. Um, and I'm going to say good night to everybody. And thanks again, all, for being here. And all you people in the chat room, thank you for being here. And it was a great night. Good night. Yeah, good night. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.